We are Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This is episode nine. Thank you very much for joining us. This time we're going to talk about a very contentious topic, coffee. We'll also talk about the different kinds of detectors you might want in your van, a tale from the road involving a breakdown, and a product review of the Olympian Wave 3 catalytic heater. We're also going to talk about some fossils a bit, but uh, hey, let's get going. So you would think it's coffee. You drink it, you don't. Some people like tea. You know, not the worst topic in the world. Um, In fact, I have a cup of coffee right here, which I will enjoy, if you'll excuse me. Yes, nothing like the sound of a coffee cup rubbing against a microphone. With everything in van life, I suggest you start by looking at how you solve the problem in your house. And for me, um, I've been a coffee drinker for many years, and I'm addicted to caffeine, and I'm happy with that. And I have used many different coffee makers. I was a Keurig aficionado for many years. I know you can send the hate mail all you want. I think Keurig gets a bad rap. Um, If you're concerned about the quality of the coffee, well... That's a personal preference. But if you're concerned about the environmental impact of Keurigs, I suggest you take another look because they do make recyclable pods now or compostable pods, or you can use reusable pods. The pod thing is not an issue if you don't want it to be. But I I liked my Keurig, and I do think Keurigs can work fine in a van, but I don't use one anymore. And that's because in 2010, I moved in with the best person in the world, and she happened to have a fancy coffee maker called a DeLonghi Magnifica that makes espresso and coffee and it grinds the beans fresh for every cup and you just press a button and coffee comes out. It's like Star Trek coffee. I love it. But I don't use it in my van because it's too big and it uses too much power and it's kind of expensive and uh, I don't know that having a $500 coffee maker makes a lot of sense in the van. Now on Facebook, somebody posted the very innocent question, hey, how do you guys make coffee in your van? And it blew up into dozens of posts, some quite vitriolic, including statements like, you don't know what coffee is, etc. It's a strangely contentious topic. People are almost religious about coffee. Um, I have friends from Australia who insist that Americans don't know how to make coffee. And yet when I went to Australia, I couldn't find a good cup of coffee to save my life. And honestly, I had the same experience in Italy, where after several days, I was sick of espresso. I just wanted a regular cup of coffee. And people would say, oh, you mean Americano? And I was like, no, I don't mean watered down espresso. I mean, I want a regular old cup of coffee. God damn it. And I, you know, hey, I'm from America. To me, coffee is either Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. And that's basically your two types of coffee. None of that matters. All that matters is you want a cup of coffee. And you have a van, and you want to know how to make that coffee in a van. So I'm going to talk about several different ways to make coffee in the van. And keep in mind that we're focusing on three different things. Those are quality, convenience, and cleanup. Now, for quality, you will see that you have to make a trade-off. You can't have all three of these things. You can't have quality, convenience, and easy cleanup. You have to choose which is the most important to you or, you know, make sacrifices in whichever column. To me, cleanup is a really big deal and that lends itself to convenience being a really big deal. So I'm willing to sacrifice quality a bit. You may not want to be. So let me go through this list and then I will tell you what I decided to do. Easily for convenience and cleanup, the simplest thing to do is instant coffee. 
All you need to do is add hot water. There's 800,000 ways to make hot water in a van. Done. Clean up, rinse out the cup. Done. Instant coffee. Quality-wise, eh, uh, I think most people would agree that instant coffee is the lowest quality of coffee. Uh, from there, we can go to, say, a French press. Now, a French press is uh, it's a, usually a glass container. Sometimes they're steel. You throw the grounds in. You pour in the hot, close to boiling water. And then there's a plunger that comes down that separates the grounds from the water when it's ready, usually seven to nine minutes or so. Uh, great option. Very low cost. Cleanup is fairly easy. I find that the grounds get all over the place. And actually, I hate cleaning French presses, but I know a lot of people don't think it's a big deal. And the quality of the coffee is pretty high. So that ranks pretty high in all three columns. And in fact, some people will insist that it is the best quality coffee you can get. For a more advanced version of the same thing, there's a, an aero press. And it's, it's sort of like a French press, but it's, it pressurizes the coffee. Starbucks coffee is a pressured brew, uh, as is Keurig. That means that it's not drip. The water doesn't just drip through the grounds. It's pressured through there, which is thought to extract more coffee flavor. Now, aeropresses are a bit more expensive, but people love them. So definitely an option for a van. Uh, on Instagram photos, it is very popular to post your mocha pot. They're an old-fashioned kind of device. They're made of metal and they have a particular shape that is um, a wide base and then like a, a kind of a coffee urn on top of it. And I'll have pictures and links in the show notes if you don't know what I'm talking about. Mocha is M-O-K-A, pot. You add water and the water turns into a steam and the steam travels up these tubes and then you're basically steaming the coffee. And the result is a type of espresso-y coffee. It's definitely a richer coffee. So if you're more on the Dunkin' Donuts is the best coffee in the world side of things, a mocha pot is probably not for you. But it's a really good option for vans. And I think one of the reasons it's so popular is that it makes a small quantity of coffee where you can just make a cup or two cups very easily. Whereas its relative, the percolator, does not. Percolators were the standard way to make coffee while you were camping for years because all they needed was heat. The way a percolator works is you fill a container with coffee and water and the hot water travels up a tube and then drips over the coffee grounds in a repetitive cycle. So the longer you kept your percolator cooking, the stronger the coffee would get. That's a great option. You can certainly do that, but percolators tend to make a minimum of eight cups of coffee. So in a van, I mean, hey, maybe you want eight cups of coffee at once. But uh, for me, I'd, I'd rather make a single cup. Then, now, this is an option that I think you should consider. Cowboy coffee. You just take some grounds, you throw it in a pot, you boil it, and then you pour it gently so that the grounds don't come out. Very earthy. Quality, you'll have to judge for yourself. Clean up, well, it's just pot with grounds and water in it. It'd be pretty easy to clean up. Cowboy coffee is definitely an option. Just for fun, I'm going to recommend a different way of making coffee, something that I personally would like to try but actually haven't yet. This is called Swedish egg coffee. Yes, egg coffee. Takes 20 minutes to make, and this is what you do. And I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to read it rather than listening to me tell it, and I think that's a good idea because this isn't going to make a lot of sense. You take nine cups of water, and put them aside. And then you take a quarter cup of water and put it aside. And then you take another cup of water and put it aside. You're going to have three different containers of water. You need three quarters of a cup of freshly ground coffee, either medium or coarse ground. 
and one egg. Yes, let's go. Take nine cups of that water and boil it in, uh, you know, any kind of a pot will do. And then while you're waiting for that water to boil, add the egg to the coffee grounds and then pour that quarter cup of water in there and mix it together. So you'll have like this cake batter consistency. I know, I'm just reading the directions here. Then pour that cake batter stuff into the boiling water and remove the pot from the heat. That's it for the heat. Take that whole thing, stir it up and set it aside for 10 minutes. And what happens in that 10 minutes is that the egg will kind of cook and mix itself with the grounds and settle to the bottom. So you'll have this like mass of eggy grounds. Now, I know a lot of coffee aficionados will say, no, 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 you can't let it sit. You have to drink it fresh or else the aromatic antioxidants or whatever mumbo jumbo. Um, if you let it sit for 10 minutes, the grounds will settle. And because the egg is in there, it actually kind of keeps the grounds together. But then you pour it through a strainer into your cup. What this is supposed to do is remove all the bitterness and acidity. I think it could be done in a van. I don't think it ranks very high in the convenience or cleanup side of things, but hey, give it a shot. And if you're ever at the Minnesota State Fair, you can just buy it and try it yourself because it's a, it's a big, huge booth they have there. Now, what do I personally do as if you want to do what I do, which I don't recommend? Well, convenience is really big for me. Cleanup is really big and quality is lesser. So I actually use, drumroll please, instant coffee. I know. I know you think less of me, but, but hear me out. I use high-quality instant coffee, which is Starbucks Via, or Via. I'm not exactly sure how they want you to pronounce it. This is not your Folgers crystals. This is finely ground coffee powder, and it gives you a much better cup of coffee, in my opinion. And what I do is a little strange. My typical day in the van is that I'm driving somewhere. I'm not a kind of park-and-stay-in-the-same-place-for-several-days thing. So... As I'm getting ready in the morning, I will take my 12-volt electric kettle, fill it with water, hook it up to the engine's 12-volt system, not my leisure batteries, and then I will take my coffee cup and add one or two packets of Via in it, depending on which coffee cup I use. And then I start driving. And within 20 minutes, that hot water is ready. I just pull over and add it to my cup, and I'm ready to go. And there's my coffee, and it didn't take any time, and the quality is acceptable to me. I'm good about with just being acceptable. I'm not looking for perfection. And the cleanup is just I have to rinse out the cup. That's what I do. Again, I know many of you have stopped listening the moment I said instant, but coffee is a personal thing. Like with all things in the van, this is your space. Make it yours. Do what you want. Um, but know that there are many, many options for coffee. Okay, Tech Talk. I'm going to talk about detectors. Well, I'm not talking about radar detectors. I'm talking about necessary detectors you should have in your van. These are investments in your safety that you should make. The first one, of course, is a smoke detector. Get a battery-powered smoke detector, mount it high in your van, or do what I do and have two, one where your electrical stuff is and one high in the van. I recommend having one with the electrical stuff because it's the kind of place that if you have smoke there, you want to know as soon as possible in the hopes of being able to try to save something. And then the general one is just for whatever. Smoke detectors have two uses, actually. One is that, hey, there's a fire, get out. But the other is they let you know when something is going to affect the air quality of your van. So if you're cooking, 
and your smoke detector goes off, ventilate more. Or if you are using a heat source and it's near something that it shouldn't be, um, that can give off fumes that'll set off the smoke detector. My smoke detector has gone off never because of a fire, but because I've done something wrong. So, number one, smoke detector. Number two, carbon monoxide detector. Monoxide, carbon monoxide detector. If you are using any form of flame in your van, uh, yes, even a catalytic heater, which technically doesn't burn and it doesn't produce any carbon monoxide, but those things can fail. And when they fail, they can produce carbon monoxide. So you want to guard against that. So um, you want to mount it uh, mid-range. You'll, you'll actually see people saying, oh, or you need to put it high or you need to put it low. I like putting it in the middle. I think you're going to catch all the possible options of where your carbon monoxide might be if you put it in the middle. Also, in the middle of the van is where my head is when I'm sleeping, and that's where I'm most concerned about the carbon monoxide. The other one I recommend is if, uh, if you're using any form of LP or butane is to get an explosive gas detector. Uh, I've had these in the past. I find that the problem with them is that they often have false positives. So this thing will probably go off when you, in the middle of the night when you don't want it to, and you'll wake up and you'll be thinking, okay, what's wrong? I don't see anything wrong. Yes, that's annoying, but it's less annoying than having your van explode. They can also detect gasoline leaks and things like that. So those are the three detectors I recommend you have in the back of the van. You can find combination units that have two or maybe even all three. I don't think I've seen one that has all three. But definitely spend some money on your safety and get these detectors and have spare batteries with you so that when they start chirping in the middle of the night, you don't have to smash them or toss them into a river. You can just change the battery. Tales from the road. Okay, this is an old, old story, but it, it still applies today. Uh, my family was driving through Pennsylvania. We were visiting places like Hershey and Gettysburg and, you know, seeing some of the great American sites. And we were in our Volvo and everything was fine, cruising down the highway, da-da-da, summer day, air conditioner's on, and then the engine dies. And we drift to the side of the road. And I was just a kid at the time. My dad was expected to be the mechanical one. And while he was pretty good at a lot of things, he was only at basic level for auto mechanics. He opened the hood and, hey, there's an engine. Why doesn't it work? The car would turn over. Nothing would happen after that. It wouldn't catch. It wouldn't start. Hmm. What does this mean? So while we're there by the side of the road, this guy comes up behind us and says, hey, uh, I'm a mechanic. Maybe I can help take a look. And we're like, oh, great. And so he's poking around and stuff. And now this was an older car. I think it was a 74. He sticks his hand in there and he pulls it back quick. And he says, ooh, that's hot. We're like, well, what? And he says, oh, the coil wire is really, really hot. I think your coil's bad. The coil takes 12 volts and ramps it up to really high voltage. That makes your spark plugs work, basically. Uh, again, modern cars are a little different. But if this part fails you will have exactly the symptom we have. And so the guy, and this is before GPSs and cell phones, keep that in mind. And the guy was like, well, tell you what, you guys stay here. I'm going to drive to the auto store and get you guys a coil, and then I will come back. And we were like, oh, that's so generous. And he said, yeah, you guys just sit tight. I'll be back in about an hour. It's going to take that long. Boy, what a nice guy. And so we're sitting there. And this was at a time in my life where I was just starting to dabble in electricity. And I knew that cars had fuses. And so I asked, hey, have you checked the fuses? 
my dad said, well, no, I mean, it's probably not that. And I was like, well, we're sitting here for an hour. Why not check it? So he looks through the fuses, and this is back in the day when there were those big glass bus fuses that it was easy to see if they were blown or not. And sure enough, there's a fuse that's blown. Pull out the owner's manual and look, and it's the fuse for the fuel pump. That's what happened. The fuse for the fuel pump went, and that stopped us. Now, why that fuse blew, that's a whole other story. But what was clear was that we could get back on the road if we could replace that fuse. So my dad looked and found the fuse for the cigarette lighter plug that we weren't using, took that out, and put it in the fuse holder for the fuel pump, which probably wasn't safe as they weren't the same rating, but it got us back on the road. But what about the guy who went to get us the coil? How do we let him know? And so we were stuck with this dilemma. Do we wait for this guy who actually may not come back? We don't know this person. He might get to the parts store and they might not have the part and he might just say, ah, screw it, and then never come back. Or do we try to leave him a note or what? And we decided we were going to leave. And we did. We drove off. We didn't leave a note because where, where do you leave a note on the side of the road? If he actually did come back, he would see, hey, they're gone. They must have solved their problem. Good for them. This happened in 1977, I think, maybe 79. It was in the, the late 70s. And I still feel guilty about that guy. Um, and I hope whoever he is or was, I hope that he realizes that we were grateful for his assistance, even if we had no way to express it. When something goes bad with your engine and you open the hood, uh, don't forget to check the fuses, because sometimes a fuse can be your ticket to getting back on the road. Okay, product review. The Olympian Wave 3 is by Camco. It is the smallest of their catalytic heaters. Unlike, say, the Buddy Heater, this one is designed to be a little bit more permanent. They don't have handles on them. They're not meant to be moved around. They have attachments so you can attach it to the wall. So they're kind of like a semi-permanent installation thing. Uh, I have mine suspended by chains by the driver's side sliding door. Again, I'm in an NV200, small van. I don't have a lot of places for things like this, and that seems to work out pretty well. I have the necessary clearances, and it's out of the way. So I was in the van, and temperatures dropped down into the teens. I found that it was really slow to warm up the van. When I got in the van and it was like 20, uh, it would take a good half an hour to actually start feeling like the van was warming. And I have a thermometer in there and I could watch it creeping up. That's because this is a catalytic heater. It's not just burning propane, it's taking propane and catalyzing it, which is a different chemical reaction than burning. And the heat it produces is radiant heat. So it's actually warming up objects in the van, not the air. So all that heat is definitely heating up the van, but it, it, the way you sense it is different. It's an interesting thing. It kept the van at really comfortable temperature. In fact, I, I had to turn it down a couple of times. So I can, I can definitely say that the Wave 3, which is their smallest, is, is big enough for a small van. But you're not going to get instant heat from it. So what I ended up doing was I had the, I have my butane camp stove with a radiant can heater that goes on top of it. These things are cheap and they're not really very safe. But I was able to take the chill off the air with that and then use the Camco to keep the van warm. I will be honest, I did leave the Wave 3 on all night. A lot of people say that's unsafe. I am definitely not disagreeing with them. 
but it was literally the only way this kind of heater was going to keep your van warm um, because if you turn it off you're going to lose that momentum of, of the radiant heat and it doesn't heat things up quick enough that you would just turn it on and off as you got cold so I do have all the detectors that I mentioned earlier, so I was feeling pretty confident that if something went wrong, I'd be woken up, and I did have ventilation. I had my roof vent open, and I had my windows open in the front, or at least cracked, and I think I was fine. Was it safe according to the strictest standards of safety? No. And honestly, it never will be. Uh, there is a school of thought that you should never have any sort of propane burning device in your van ever at all. I have crossed that barrier I'm okay with it. You have to judge for yourself. So since they've come down in price, and they're about 170 bucks right now, last I checked, the Olympian Wave 3 is a great option for a van, in my opinion. It's very easy to hook them up to a large propane tank. and In fact, that's how they're set up. If you want to use uh, the one-pound tanks, like the kind you get at Walmart, you can do that. You just need to buy hoses and adapters. They don't come with legs. You have to buy the legs if you want to actually just set them on a counter, which annoys me. And they don't come with a cover. So these um, catalytic heaters have a pad that has platinum in it. And if that pad gets dusty, they don't work as well. So you have to keep them covered. But they don't come with the cover. It's annoying. Uh, you can just put a plastic bag over it, but I did go and spend like 14 bucks on a cover. To me, it should come with the cover. It should come with the legs. So Camco Wave 3 catalytic heater gets a thumbs up for me. I think it is a better option than the buddy heaters for a number of reasons. You are sacrificing a little bit of portability, but it will last all night long on a one pound can of gas. Okay, interesting place to visit. I was in Aurora, North Carolina. Yes, I know, I promise. I will explain the Aurora thing, but not today. There's actually a huge long story I could tell about Aurora, North Carolina, but I'm going to focus on one thing, and that is the Fossil Museum. You've probably seen fossil museums all over the country. What's different about this one is that the fossils they're finding are coming from the world's largest or second largest phosphate mine, which is in Aurora. Phosphates are mined by basically digging up ancient seabed. The, the phosphates come from decomposing animals and a lot of bird guano and things like that. And we use phosphates for almost everything, especially during wartime because it's a key ingredient in uh, gunpowder. So over the years, then this mine's been open, I think, 100 years, they have found all kinds of strange things in the seabed. Lots of fossilized shells, like you'd expect, and fish bones, but also shark teeth. And some of these shark teeth are from sharks that are enormous, like megalodon. Uh, you know, these are shark teeth the size of your hand. The museum is, as you'd expect, a display of a lot of the interesting things they found. But the really cool thing is, in the parking lot across the street, they have dump truck loads of the phosphate tailings, and they invite you to come and dig through and look for stuff. And if you dig through for a few seconds, you will find coral and clamshells and all kinds of fossils just instantly. If you dig through for longer, you'll have a very good chance of finding shark teeth. And if you're really dedicated, then you, you, you might find a megalodon tooth or an osteolith, which is a whale's ear bone. That's another thing you can find there. So, interesting kind of unusual place. It's in the lowlands of North Carolina. It's about an hour and a half from the interstate. The town is devastated from Hurricane Irene way back in 2011, so I feel terrible for the town, but this museum is definitely worth taking a diversion to check out. So that is Aurora, North Carolina, and their fossil museum. 
All right, a little bit of Q&A. I got a note from, from Tom. Thank you very much. And he asked a couple of questions. The one I'm going to address today is, can you have living plants in your van? And like everything, I'm going to say, yes, but. I used to work in a greenhouse, so I have some knowledge of plants and what they need. And basically, you've got to worry about three things with plants. You need to worry about their light, their temperature, and their water. That's the basic three things. You can talk about fertilizer and, and all that, but to keep a plant alive, you need those three things. Water is pretty easy. You've got water in the van. You're actually more in danger of overwatering than underwatering. Overwatering kills plants, so make sure you know how much water to add to the kind of plant you have. Temperature, temperature is a problem. If you're going to choose a plant for your van, make sure that it will live in whatever temperatures you're going to have in the inside of your van. And as we've talked about before, that is a big range. And a lot of plants don't like big ranges. The plants that live in the north have two cycles. You know, they have a winter mode and a summer mode. And they're not ready to swap that in just a day. If it's the winter in your van, you get in and it's 25 degrees Fahrenheit, and then you're going to warm it up to, say, 60 degrees Fahrenheit, plants don't like that. So consider that. And of course, the other part of that is light. Now, my van, I don't even have any windows in the back. So that, those plants aren't going to get any light unless I turn on the LEDs or I open the doors. LED lights do not give full spectrum light. They're fine for humans. They're not great for plants. Plants don't actually like LED light. So don't think that that bright LED light you have in your ceiling is going to help your plant. It isn't. And if you take your plant and put it up front where there is light, then people walking by can see that you have a plant in your van, and that's a pretty good sign that you're living in it. So, given those factors, how do you keep a plant in your van? Well, one great option is to have herbs. Herbs are sort of the livestock of plants. Um, you keep them alive and you use them, and when they die or you harvest them, you're not as heartbroken about it as you would be with the loss of a pet. Basil Rosemary, thyme, these are good options. They look nice, they add a little bit of oxygen to your van, a little bit of liveliness, and hey, if you go up north and they freeze, yeah, you can actually put them in the freezer and keep them as, as herbs that you can use in your cooking. It's not the end of the world. Another good option, succulent plants like aloe vera or cactuses. And while they may not have that same planty feel you're looking for, they are a bit more tolerant of strange conditions. Mother-in-law's tongue, uh, also known as dracaena, is another that's good. If you want plants that are going to be a pet plant, definitely make sure, obviously the temperature, you've got to deal with the temperature, but make sure they have artificial light. My van doesn't have any windows in it. Any plant back there is not going to get natural light. Invest in a light that you put over that plant that's like a grow light and set it on a timer or whatever and, and let it get that light for a certain period of time a day. If you're in a moving vehicle, chances are you're going to have a really hard time getting enough natural light for that plant. I do have a plant in my van. It is plastic and it came from Ikea and adds just a little bit of interest but I have decided that I am not responsible enough to try to grow living plants in my van. I'm also not, as I've said, full-time, so my van may sit for a week without me being in it. Not a good environment for a plant. Anyway, Tom, thank you very much for the question. I really appreciate it, and I will get to your other question in a future episode. Here's a resource recommendation for something that's surprisingly hard to find, and that is fabric, carpet, 
vinyl whatever for your walls. Sure, you can go look in Home Depot and Lowe's and Menards or whatever your home supply store is, or even at the fabric stores like Michael's, but you won't find anything. You might find something, but you're not going to find like a big array of options. So after hunting around, I did come across a site called Albright's Supply. So that's A-L-Bright-S Supply, albrightssupply.com. They are the craft of automotive and marine upholstery. It's basically a whole site just dedicated to this problem. They have carpet, they have cloth, they have headliners, they have vinyl, they have flooring, and basically anything that's covering a large surface inside your van, they have. They also sell clips, like those little clips that break when you're trying to put up your panels. They have spray guns, staple guns, foam all different widths of foam. Like if you wanted to do, uh, say, velour over foam on your walls, which would be a little bit retro, but you could certainly do it, they would have the right thickness of foam. I ordered all my four-way stretch carpet from them and actually had to do two orders because I underestimated how much I would use. And it was great. There was a wide range of colors. And since my color scheme is basically gray, I picked a light gray because I think a lighter color wall makes the van seem a little bit bigger. And both orders had exactly the same color, so there was no issue with that. And my only complaint, and it's not really a complaint because I understand, is that the fabric came folded. So I had to deal with wrinkles, and that was a little bit of a pain. The four-way stretch carpet has like a bit of a memory, so if you make a fold in it, it's kind of hard to get out. But again, four-way stretch carpet is very forgiving, so of course I was able to fix it. Anyway, that's albrightsupply.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. And no, they're not a sponsor. They're just a company I use that treated me right. And that's it for this episode nine. Thank you very much for listening to me. Next time, we're going to talk about security, how to stay safe in your van. And we'll discuss multi-tools, a tale from the road involving something I did that was really stupid. We'll review the SureFlow electric mechanical faucet, an interesting thing. And we'll talk about a supernatural place you can visit. Music was by Simon Wagg, a.k.a. Sir Mouge. And I hope you're having a very interesting life.